You're listening to the IHOP KC Family Connect podcast. In these 30-minute family conversations, fueled by the Word of God, the beauty of Jesus, and His glorious return, we will explore the narratives the Lord is weaving in the story of the global body of Christ as we digest what the Lord is saying to the church today. Hello and welcome. So glad that you're joining us again with the IHOP KC podcast. My name is David Slyker. I'm one of your hosts, president of the International House of Prayer University, I'm here with Dana Candler, hello, the uh, one of the prayer directors, along with her husband Matt, at the university, and our lead pastor for our church, Isaac Bennett. Hello, I love doing this with you guys. This is so fun. I so appreciate this. This has been fun. This has been a, an unusual journey that we've been on. Again, the the podcast isn't going to mostly be this or or um, or what we've been doing, but I like that we have the latitude to take some weeks and talk about one of our favorite subjects, which is the beauty of the Lord in the Song of Solomon, which um, would be really new for, for some. Like, what's the beauty of the Lord? You know, Isaac's point in the last episode, it was like, hey, let's pause and define that for a second because I don't know that everybody knows what we're talking about. And then to talk about the beauty of the Lord, the emotions of God, His tenderness, the, the way that, that the Lord loves and the things that, that are beautiful of His character, but then to talk about that through the Song of Solomon is very new to people. And uh, on that one, I'm not necessarily going to onboard you today, but I will refer you to some of our earlier conversations that we've had a few weeks back. We ta- Dana, you and I talked about that at length. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's an entire episode devoted to answering that question. But, uh, but I'm just going to run from, from this point forward because I want to really tease out something that Isaac said in passing in our last conversation, but actually I, I, I told him behind the scenes, I purposefully didn't jump on what you said and went in a different direction because the, because the comment was so um, significant. It was such an important comment. It was worthy of doing a, an entire episode around. And it was, it was uh, Song of Solomon 4 is what we talked about. We talked about the, the determination of the Shulamite, the, who represents the church, the, the body of Christ. And it was her determination, having been loved so powerfully by Jesus, it gives her courage to determine she's going to go all the way. She's going to go to what she calls the mountain of myrrh. She's going to ascend the mountain and come to an end to herself and get lost in her, her destiny, her identity in the Lord and and what it is she was made for in being loved by him and partnering with him in ministry. And so you said, Isaac, last time when we mentioned that passage, you made a connection between the mountain of Myrrh and the Lord's purposes for Israel. It was such an intriguing connection, not one that's easily connected to for folks. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that the determination, if I've come, Lord, if you've brought me this far, if you've brought me this far in 10 years, one year, one month, I believe you can take me just the whole way and I want to go there. I want to go where you want to take me. You hinted last time that that there, that the place that the Holy Spirit wants to take his church in this hour of history is, in, is towards a, a loyalty to, a, a contending for the destiny of, intercession for Israel, um, particularly in a context of anti-Semitism and resistance and rage, that, uh, that there's 
a real invitation and mandate from the Spirit for the body of Christ to enter into a love for Israel, loyal love, but real obstacles and real difficulty. Mm-hmm. And so how did you come to make that connection? That's such an interesting connection. Well, I think uh, the mountain of myrrh represents embracing suffering. Okay, the you know myrrh being that burial fragrance, that incense. And so for Jesus... The, the, the mountain of myrrh was the cross and during the suffering of the cross. And you know, when Christ calls us to bear our cross and to follow him, I think we begin to discover things about this bridegroom that's, that's so different, contrary to what we would prefer in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of a bridegroom, a Messiah, a king. One of the things that we start to discover is, as we study the scripture, is his Jewishness. Christ's Jewishness and his insistence that Jerusalem will be a praise in the earth, that it will be the center point of his government, of his kingdom in the age to come. So, you know, in 4-6, when it's like the day is going to break, the shadow is going to flee away, that new dawn dawns on Jerusalem, the actual city of Jerusalem. And so there is this Joel chapter 3 call. I know I'm going fast. There's so much to synthesize here uh, just in a short few moments. But, you know, the Joel chapter 3 call, the Lord pours out his spirit in Joel chapter 2 upon the body of Christ, the end time body of Christ. Everyone is moving in a spirit of prophecy. There's dreams, visions, miracles. I mean, it's the book of Acts multiplied on the global scale. Okay. And so, and so then in that context, it's the call to come to the valley of decision. So there's this global outpouring of miracles, power, end time revival. And then there's this call, hey, come to the valley of decision. Well, what is the valley of decision? Most people have preached it throughout the centuries as it's the call to receive Christ as, as Savior and Messiah. It's the, it's the chance to come and I'm in the valley. Am I going to choose to stand for Christ? Am I going to choose to stand against him? But actually, the Valley of Decision is not about Jesus himself. It's about his people and his purposes for the nation of Israel, in particular, Jerusalem. And so when we read that, we go, whoa, there's something coming that's culminating in the future. I said yes to Jesus at VBS camp in the Midwest. Okay, I'm making up this person. I'm discovering Christ as a bridegroom and his beauty and his splendor. Okay, wow, that's, that's a lot. I'm discovering now his Jewishness. Okay, this is really strange to me. I'm discovering his purposes for the nation of Israel and the Jewish people and how all Israel will be saved, Romans 11:26, and how all of human history is going to culminate in a battle of glory and beauty and, you know, power in, in Armageddon near Jerusalem. And then there's this call to the Gentile believers to not boast against the Jewish people in Romans 11. Anyways, I know I'm just throwing out so much here, so help me, Dave, synthesize this. I believe that the body of Christ, their mountain of myrrh, the end-time mountain of myrrh, is not the Antichrist. It is not the tribulation, though it will be affected greatly by those things. It is standing for God's purposes for the Jewish people. That is where she will experience the greatest amount of suffering and self-sacrifice are Gentile, predominantly Gentile believers— standing with future trouble that is coming to the Jewish people like we've never seen before. And, and so in our little micro way, that's what I was hinting at. We're developing this Truman property. Why is it that we're developing a Truman property? Because I think 
uh, uh, in my little prophetic-ish mind, I think that that is our mountain of myrrh as a local people, to stand for God's purposes for the nation of Israel as those Isaiah 62 watchmen on the wall to see Jerusalem made a praise in the earth. And it's not comfortable to me. It's not what I would choose, but it's what God has chosen through his word for his end time people. Yeah, we, I think it'd be good to uh, talk about spring 1983 now, I'd love for the two of you to, this is a very familiar story to us, but it's good to tell it again. Because, uh, because why? Because I'm telling the story of the birth of this ministry, night and day prayer in the spirit of the tabernacle of David, 24-7 prayer. We, we want to pray. We want to worship around the clock. We're famous for it. We're famous for unceasing prayer that we broadcast via web stream that anyone from around the world can plug into and engage with us in intercession. And so... There's an appreciation for us as a ministry related to our prayer and the prayers that we've offered over 22 years. There's a, a, a lesser appreciation only because we're mostly known for that. We're also, we're also known a little bit less than, you know, we're known for prayer as, you know, the, the, the preachers of the intimacy message, intimacy with Jesus, um, intimacy, knowing him, knowing, knowing who he is, knowing the man Jesus, then one notch even below that, we're famous for what we call the foreigner message and preaching the return of Jesus in the end times. We're known for those things, and people have a, a various varying degrees of honor related to how we've been consistent in those areas. But I think one of the things that even our own people forget is that the very basis of our existence from heaven's perspective, why we exist as a ministry, why did God start the International House of Prayer in 1999. If you don't know the answer to this question, you're going, yeah, that's a good question. Why did you guys start Night and Day Prayer? Because he's worthy? That, that's a good answer, but that's actually not why we started. Because he's beautiful. Again, good answer, but not why we started Night and Day Prayer. From heaven's perspective, 1983, this ministry was birthed by sovereign initiative and grace, supernaturally, because God wants to raise up a global intercession movement for Israel. He wants to raise up a hundred million Gentile intercessors. Mm-hmm. We're not the ones that are going to do that. That's not, we're not going to be the leaders of, of that. We are to be a part of serving the body of Christ in intercession for the purpose of a catalytic igniting of prayer for Israel that is in God's heart. And so it's spring of 1983, and uh, a man named Bob Jones walks into 27-year-old Mike Bickle's office and begins to talk to him about Israel and God's purposes for Israel. And the thing I love about that story, because he's talking about where this is going, the, the coming of what he called the songbirds, the, the singers that would sing the Bible, the prophetic, the prophetic musicians. He talked about the you know, the night and day prayer. He, he talked about what was coming in the future. But again, he puts it all in the context of Harry S. Truman. He, all, he puts it in the context of Israel. And he asks Mike, he goes, do you, you know, pray for Israel? No. Do you know anything about Israel from the Bible? No. He was like, when Mike did not know that the Lord was signing him up for something that was profoundly about Israel's salvation. I didn't sign up for that when I moved here. Right. 
I didn't think, I can't wait to go join that Israel ministry, IHOP KC. Uh, that's not how I thought about it at all. But from the Lord's perspective, that's what I was joining. I'm joining one of his epicenters of an Israel intercession movement. And uh, did you know that? <laughs> no. I mean, <laughs> I was only six when I moved here. But, you know, and, and you know, what, what Bob says, Bob Jones says to Mike is, he says, you know, that, that Harry Truman is a political intercessor for Israel and in helping to reestablish um, the the boundary lines, the the international recognition of Israel as a sovereign nation, 1948, the rebirth of the of the nation of Israel, and he says that the Lord's going to raise up an intercession movement that that they're not going to be primarily political intercessors for Israel. They're going to be intercessors, and they're going to be on Harry Truman's land property. And like you referenced in that story in 1983, the church that Mike was leading was over in Overland Park, which is just, you know, 15 minutes or so from the, the old original Harry Truman farm. And Bob tells Mike, he says, you're going to be on Harry Truman's land leading this movement of songbirds, the prophetic singers, 24-7 worship, tons of young people. There's going to be the Song of Solomon mixed in. I mean, all of these core DNA messages and values that we know now and are more familiar with, but at the time were so bizarre and confusing to 27-year-old, you know, Mike Bickle back in 1983. And so, anyway. No, it's a huge point. You're, you're about to say something. Jump in. Oh, I just, uh, I'm thinking about the way that Isaac laid it out at the beginning, and, and even how sometimes we can see all of these themes almost like all separate boxes, but I but I love how they are bound together. And I love how you brought in that storyline of the Song of Solomon. This is our mountain of myrrh. The way I think of it is like, this is the trajectory of the first commandment. Mm -hmm. This is where it goes. Mm. And he does lead us in such a way that we're drawn by his beauty, that we're, we're won over, that we're wounded with love, so to speak, of who he is. And, and over time, that gets us into... Oh yeah, you're Jewish. And right. <laughs> oh right. Oh, you're a real man. We love oh. Jesus. Then we got we love his friends and his people, yes. and then we stumble upon the whole subject of Israel, and we go, wait a second. But it really is bound together, and it really. I mean, obviously, he's at the center, and we get in that trajectory of the first commandment to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. At the end of it all, we really do end where you're describing. We're saying yes. I will say yes to that mountain of myrrh. I will lay down my life, Jesus. I'm in it all the way. Mm -hmm. I'm in it for you. And it, it is this, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful the way that he leads us into that very heart. I have a different viewpoint on the Harry Truman property than, than you do, Isaac. Um, and so again, the Harry Truman property. So in 1983, Bob Jones says, there's going to be an intercession movement for Israel. It's going to be night and day prayer with worship Young people, singers, musicians from all over the world, they're going to come. They're going to lead prayer meetings with worship for Israel. Like, what? And it's going to happen on Harry S. Truman's property. Why Harry S. Truman? Again, just to restate what you said. Harry S. Truman was a political intercessor for Israel. The birth of Israel as a nation was profoundly connected to Harry S. Truman's leadership and boldness, his courage in 1948. The... Uh, in the same manner, there's going to be spiritual intercessors. It's going to be a sign to the earth. And so that, that, that's a key idea. It's going to be a sign to the earth. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you talking about? So, 
So then in 2007, um, this Jewish couple, um, the Goldberg family, they had owned the Harry S. Truman farm, the property. Right. They had bought it from the, the Truman family. They had owned it for 50 years. Right. And were wanting to sell the property. And they, they're, they, they're, they're not Christians. They came to us. They said, hey, we'd like to sell it to you at a, at a really outrageous, unbelievable price. But even though they no, were no, a good meaning good, good a good price. Good. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, like like really cheap for way us. Way less. <laughs> way less than what it was worth. Right. Because they thought, you know, we, we you got young people, we like what you're doing. You you seem to be for Israel. We want we want the land to go to a group like you. And so uh, so they give us hundred and sixty acres at an incredible price. But um, but even that really inexpensive price we don't have. We don't have that in our bank account. And it just so happens that a man in the conversation that was visiting, the, he had the, the million dollars that it was going to take in his bank account, which never happens. He says, never happens. But on our way here, the Lord spoke to me and told me that I was going to give that million to a Jubilee property. Jubilee being, you know, 50 years in, in, the, uh, in the Pentateuch. The, the 50 years, a jubilee property, and he goes, this is that. I want to give so that you guys can, can get that property. So at the time, that was a shock to us. Mm-hmm. It was a whoa. It was a shock to the system, a sovereignly orchestrated wow moment that got our attention and the attention of many others across right. the nations that are friends of ours. Because that which Bob Jones said in 83... We thought maybe that meant we'd be near the Harry S. Truman property. Yeah, and the, ch- the church building, we have you know three major facilities. We have the, the school here, which, which is where we're shooting this podcast. We have the global prayer room, and we have the church. And the, the church is on part of the original Harry Truman property, um, just down the road from the entrance to the farm, the, the original uh, homestead there of the Trumans. And, and so I, I would imagine, I don't know if this is for sure, I'd have to go back and ask some of the folks back that were here in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, I would imagine that they imagined that those promises related to prayer for Israel were mostly connected to that, probably not envisioning this large 160-acre um, land to be developed someday in the future. So, so here we are, now suddenly we have the potential to be on Harry S. Truman's property. Right. It energizes us with faith. Why? Well, think about what you, ha- what you felt you had to do earlier in this conversation. You were given that blitz of information biblically as to why Israel matters from the Lord's perspective. Just that you felt the need to do that illustrates the impossibility of the word. The Lord says, I'm going to raise up 100 million Gentile intercessors for Israel's salvation. Right. When we hear that, we go, impossible. The church doesn't mostly think about Israel, or the part of the church that does think about Israel, it's, uh, it, I'll be a little mean, seems transactional. If I bless you, I'll get blessed. Hmm. And, uh, you know, we have Jewish friends that have said as much, like, yeah, we interface with Christians, and they want to help us. But, uh, but it seems like it's more for their opportunities and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so we can be accidentally the, uh, the, you know, mercenary when it comes to Israel. If I am kind to Israel, God will bless my ministry. God will expand my, my influence. And so you got the pro-Israel group that 
some of whom, not not all, not most, but a portion of whom seem like there's a there's a motive in it. But then you've got the other part of the church, not interested at all, doesn't understand, makes no sense. Even many that are theologically opposed to the idea. That's an offensive right. idea biblically that we would, you know, give ourselves to Israel's salvation. That that seems to be unbiblical. And so so what we're struck by when we hear the word is the impossibility mm-hmm. of the promise. That right. just seems like, no. So 24 years goes by from 83 to 2007. Right. And then all of a sudden, boom, we're gifted the 160 acres. And then we've been waiting, owning but, the land. But that moment alone, that moment, I remember, that was supercharged. Yes. It, it just has a way of making you go, this is real. The 100 million right. intercessors is real. Right. If you can do that little thing, though it's big to us, you can do the impossible thing. Mm-hmm. That's how I understand the Truman property. That that it's it's a it's a barometer or a timing indicator of the impossible, apart from which I would have no faith to believe. Right. And so and so the Lord gives it to us, you know, twenty four years after Bob said it would happen, but we do nothing with it. We can't. Right. We don't have any resource to develop it. It right. takes millions and millions and millions of dollars to develop 160 acres. And even then, what are we going to do with 160 acres? I mean, we're a bunch of preachers and teachers. Our best plans encompass about five acres. What happens to the other 155? Right. So we don't even know. We're preachers. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know how to develop 160 acres. And even if we did, we don't have the money to do it. So it sits. And for years, our friends from around the nation's that love us go, what about the Truman property? Right. Because it's a sign to them that the Lord has a divine purpose for Israel that we're a part of. That was so interesting to me. Yeah. Mm. And so now here we are. We're t- you know, 2021 hits. <laughs> Another 18 years later. 18 years wow. later. 24 years, we get the property. 18 years later. I haven't even thought about those time frames right. till just now. Right. And I'm like, this is such a long, long time. Story. Seemingly. It's unbelievable. But for whatever reason, again, that's why a good number of people that follow us wouldn't even think of us ever as an Israel ministry or connected that to the idea of why we exist. It's just so kind of on the, the, it would be last on the list. Yeah, you guys are a prayer ministry and a worship ministry. You got music. Yeah. You got young people. I mean, young people would probably even come before intimacy. And you preach the end times, right? You preach the return of Jesus. That'd be like fourth on the list. Fifth on the list would be, I don't even know, Lenny's <laughs> chaplaincy program. <laughs> like eighth on the list or tenth on the list for so many would be like, do you guys have something about Israel or something? But the Lord, that's his number one. Right. And the Truman property is the indicator that he's serious about it. And 2021, Mike... That we have the two weekends in July, all these visitors from all over, you know, unexpected visitors that don't know each other, don't run in the same circles or streams. Major leaders are converging in the same two weeks. And behind the scenes, the conversation shifts, not in a way we intended, not in a way Mike intended, the conversation shifts to Israel mm-hmm. behind the scenes. They're all doing, you know, the what? They hear the Truman story. They're blown away. They're connected. They look at the verses. They're blown away. We've never looked at these verses. I mean, they're getting 
wrapped into an Israel story. And the Truman property is a catalytic, you know, way of capturing their faith. Mm-hmm. It's just so interesting to me. So then that, you know, the summer comes into the fall. And when fall hits, the Truman conversation ignites. Key conversation, key conversation. Yeah, no conversations. Like two weeks. Yeah. No conversations for 18 years, suddenly in September, October. years. Isn't that crazy? Wow. No comfort, none, no conversations for 18 years. And suddenly in, in our 22nd anniversary, it's like the page turns that we, we didn't even know. And boom, there's 20 conversations on the Truman property with people that want to help, with resource, with finance, all of it coming to bear within weeks in a shocking way. Yeah. I mean, how does that make you feel? Well, it takes me back to the Lord's heart. It takes me back to two things that he carries. He carries that jealousy. He is jealous that the fullness of his desire and destiny for the Jewish people would come into being. And then the other thing that it makes me think of is his long suffering and his his patience, perseverance. Maybe that's more than one thing. But that long story, like, and yet he said it from the very beginning. But then he waits, and he, we would think, because the delay, we would think, I don't know, maybe it's over. I'm not sure. It's just sitting there. You know, and I mean, at the beginning, it, it was a sign and a wonder, but it is hard for 18 years to just see it sit there, you know? But to, I just think of the Lord's heart, and I think of he is jealous, and he is patient. He's persevering, and I don't know. It just it makes me marvel and wonder at who he is. I am just by nature riddled with unbelief and skepticism. Mm-hmm. Our, our two biggest promises that are so much bigger than IHOP, they are just not IHOP KC promises. They are body of Christ promises that are too big. They're too big. I, I want to believe them, but I don't yeah. in my honest moments. A hundred million Gentile intercessors for Israel. I, the Lord, Cairo, Egypt, 1982. I, the Lord, I'm going to change the understanding and expression of Christianity in one generation. Do you guys know it's 40 years from when God said that? Right, exactly. Right. He says that in fall of 1982, the first daily prayer meetings that Mike started out of that encounter in Kansas City were started November 28, 1982. A few months before that, he has the Cairo, Egypt encounter. It's been 40 years. So then the 27 plus the 18, it's been, or 24 plus 18, it's been 40 years since the change in the understanding and expression of Christianity word. It's been 18 years since the Truman property 14, was purchased. 14. Or 14 yeah. and, you know... 24 before that. 24 years prior, you're going to be on that property. And so here are these two impossible words. And I, I, it's, it's so interesting. I feel like the Truman property is a gift from the Lord. It, I'm seeing it now in a way I've never seen it. Because the idea that you're going to be on there is a sign and a wonder. I was like, what? How is being on a little field in Grandview, Missouri going to be a sign to anyone? Right. Right. But now, 40 years later, I'm going, ah, at the very least, it's a sign to me. Yeah. I am so encouraged. Mm-hmm. I... It's giving me the, the help to believe the impossible. Right. 
Yeah, I think of the faith of Abraham. I feel like, you know, we're in this like Abraham faith journey where the Lord is telling Abraham, you know, you're going to have a son and he's just waiting and waiting and waiting. You can't just make it happen, you know, and and here's here's this guy, Mike Bickle. Gosh, I love this guy. I love this man, Mike Bickle. He just goes, I'm not going to make it happen. I'm not going to go start a building project for the Truman property. If God said it, he can do it. He can send the right people, get the right conversation going. And what Bob Jones, you know, spoke back in 1983, I guess that would be 39-ish years ago, whatever. You know, it's like here we're sitting on the precipice of this. We're going to break land in the Truman, you know, on the Truman property in 2022. This is bizarre. This is a long yeah. thing. There's been no like building project. Hey, you know, here's our yearly campaign to develop the Truman property. <laughs> like, yeah. what is going on? This is so weird. And just to throw one more thing in, since you brought up Cairo, when Chris Reed was here in September, he actually had a word that said, he said, this is a transition moment. It's a Jordan moment. And right. a 40-year transition. And he talked about the kind of the toil and the struggle behind us in the 40 years. Yeah, the, the 40 years in the wilderness, yes, right? He's paralleling that, crossing the Jordan into the promised land into or promises. promises. Yeah, yeah. But I just think about the significance of that. Well, then later, a week or however long later, Mike connects the fact it was actually the same day as Cairo, Egypt. 40 years before. So the that Lord po- prophesied. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah, you can't plan that. So the Lord is speaking. I am I'm, I'm doing this. I have been doing this and you have no idea. I mean, I just I just marvel at the good leadership of Jesus and the way it makes me just wonder at how he how he does the things that he does. It makes I, me tender. I'm on the same theme now that you've probably noticed at this point. I can't help it. I'm on the same theme as the last episode. I, in the same way that the marking points, the tokens of grace, where we started January 2021, what we what we asked for, what we reached for in a 40-day fast to be delivered from lukewarmness, the tokens of grace that God is doing it, that give me courage to go all the way. Mm-hmm. It's the same story, but but much bigger. It's corporate story. It's... Okay, where we started, you promised to change the understanding and expression of Christianity in one generation. You promised to raise up a hundred million Gentile intercessors. Are you real? Is this real? Is this even real? But he he puts his reputation on the line, at least with us, our little movement, and he attaches his name and his reputation to those promises by attaching those promises to the Truman property. What? Who? What? What? And he did that in 1983. He attaches those promises to the Truman property and just tells us, watch. And now in 2021, just like we did last episode, we get to look back and go, look what the Lord has done. Look what you've done. You did this. You did this for us. You did this for me. You did this for my faith and yeah, he loves us. I mean, sometimes I look back at 
a lot of those promises that were spoken in 83, like we have the big ones that have not yet happened. And then we have all of these little ones that have been building our faith ever since, you know, in 83, it was bizarre to think there would be a prayer room that would go 24 seven in the spirit of the tabernacle of David day and night, prophetic singing the Bible, praying for the salvation of, of Israel. Like that's bizarre. You know, there's just, there are so many things that have already happened that we're living in now. And sometimes I find myself kind of acclimating to the, the strangeness, the uniqueness of the promises of God. We're not meant to acclimate. We're meant to be wowed at the Lord's leadership so that we say yes to greater things in him. We say yes to the beauty, the revelation. We say yes to the trouble that's coming. And we go, you know what? If you can bring us this far and do this much without, you know, the huge building campaign. I'm not against building campaigns at all. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, without the building campaigns and the and the human striving that we can often get into as it relates to pro- uh, prophetic fulfillment. I mean, Abraham did that. He got into some striving. You know, it was, you know, Hagar and, and having a son, Ishmael, because they so longed for the promises to to happen. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm struck by the leadership of the Lord through it all. And that's another facet of the beauty of the Lord right. that's so important for us to grasp. And I think about the the delays and, and the long story that we've talked about. I mean, even some of Dave's tears, I, I would think, come out of the way that, you know, we've all had, we, we look back and we, we see the times that, man, I just, I, I lost, like, I lost that zeal. I was, I was, I was actually pretty weary. <laughs> I was pretty overwhelmed. And we see how it's, it's not our strength. It's not our striving. Yeah. He kind of breaks us of all of that. At the end of the day, we just look at him and we go, you did it. <laughs> yeah. You are who you said you are. You did what you said you would do. And we just have this tender gratitude, not at how great we are, because we're not, mm-hmm. but how amazing and beautiful he yeah. is. And I'm just connecting, even as you're talking, the Song of Solomon 4, the Mountain of Myrrh, with the Zechariah 4. Mm-hmm. What are you, a mountain? You know, before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain because of shouts of grace, grace. And the grace of God is going to bring forth the body of Christ in the earth into her fullest, I mean, her most beautiful, glorified hour of human history. The the Lord's going to do that for us individually. He's going to do it corporately. It is the grace of God to the mountains of myrrh and adversity and suffering and trouble that are in front of us, that are upon us shouts of grace, grace. He says, I will do this. I am going to do it. The, the gift of this conversation, the gift of the Truman property, this weird story that it is, it's such a weird story. It just is. But the glory of it, the beauty of it to me is the way in which American Christianity can cause us to settle for very small personal promises that we wait for and mostly lose heart and give up. But the Lord in his kindness goes, I've got a much better story than whatever little story you want to make up related to what you think is significant about your life. He goes, I've got this corporate story, this global story I'd love for you to be a part of. And if you will say yes, we go, okay, what do I get? He goes, well, here's what you'll get. You'll get a benefit you don't even expect. You'll get friends that are in the same story waiting with you for me. Then, with those friends, 
you will tell the bigger story. If you just tell your own story all the time, you actually don't end up with those friends because they got to go do their own story. But when we're in a shared story that the Lord is doing globally from the Bible and we're experiencing that shared story together, what do we do? We tell each other the story. And so it, it just stirs us, connects us, connects us to one another, connects us to the Lord. There's this, but, but so if you want the global story that gets you the deep friendships who are your, your companions in the tribulation, your companions in the delay, your companions in the waiting, I think that's just part of what was, what was touching my heart. The tears were, God, you did this for us. You're bringing mm-hmm. us into this. The it is this story that's bigger than all of us, but we get to engage in it with one another and with you. And you give us help to not quit and stay with the story. That's the good news. The bad news is if you're listening and you want to be a part of a global story, global stories aren't two years, five years. Global stories are 100 years, 40 years, 18 years, you know, 24 years. Global stories, the Lord takes his time and he sweeps up multiple generations into them. And it's, it's impossible stuff. It's just impossible stuff that constitute global stories. But it's what we get to be a part of. And so I, I want to end this episode the way that we ended the last one. We're looking back at 2021. We're looking at what the Lord has done. And in this case, as an indicator of where this thing is going, we can really stay with it, believe it. But it's the same thing. It actually is the same end. I'm still stuck on what you said at the beginning of the last episode. When we see what the Lord has done and the way that he's loved us and the care that he took to knit our hearts together in it, it just gives us the courage to go all the way. It's like if this is real, if this is real and you're really doing this and we're really apart and we're really together in it, I'm in. I'll go all the way. I'll do this. What a, what a way to end the year into the next one with what you said earlier. Not just gratitude, but resolve. Resolve. I'm going with my friends, with my family. I'm going. And so... I just want to encourage you that are listening. Um, I'm, I am praying that you are encouraged, that this is real, that the Lord is doing something that we don't understand all the Bible verses behind, but it's a story that we're swept into that's bigger than all of us, but we'll, we'll knit our hearts together so tightly by the time this is all done, just by the pure glory of waiting together and telling one another the story. I want to encourage you to do that. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of the IHOPKC podcast. The, we're so, we love this Family Connect. We love the, the conversation, and we love that you can join us in it. Feel free to subscribe and keep tracking with us, and we will see you again next time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Isaac. Thank you, Dana. <laughs> Bless you all. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IHOPKC Family Connect podcast. Consider subscribing if you haven't, and follow us on social media for other content from IHOPKC.